Good evening and welcome to Health Beat. The program WDIY airs every month along with our partners at the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health. Tonight we welcome our co-host Edward Meehan, the Executive Director of the Pool Institute for Health, and Vicki Kistler, the Director of the Department of Community and Economic Development for the City of Allentown. Ms. Kistler has a master's degree in community counseling from Lehigh University with 30 years of experience. Certainly, she is a seasoned professional in her field. Welcome, Edward and Vicki. Good evening, Greg. Always good to be here with you. Thank you very much for having me today. Yeah, Vicki, I think the last time we had you on, you were talking about uh, vaccinations. You guys did a terrific job in deploying those vaccines and contributing to the uh, community health. Vicki, the vast majority of your professional career is involved serving Allentown, but let's start with you as an individual. From being an East Sider in Allentown to one who's worked for seven different mayors, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a very fortunate public health professional. Prior to my time with the city, I was fortunate enough to have some experience working in one of our homeless shelters and in two of our local hospitals. So my time of employment in the city has been vast and has been very interesting. I started with the city of Allentown as the communicable disease manager, which was responsible for supervising the staff that investigated the 65 and more reportable conditions in the state of Pennsylvania. And that position then led me to the position of health director for 15 years. Now I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I can actually see the city departments, a variety of them, come together around the social determinants of health. So I'm actually very, very fortunate in the experiences that I've had here in our city. And I'm also very grateful to all of you who helped to promote our vaccination efforts during COVID and helped to support the control measures that got us to where we are today. Greg, let me just add that uh, Vicki and I have worked together over the years. One of the initial projects we worked on was to improve prenatal care for low-income and minority women. And that was quite some time ago, and uh, Vicki was a leader in that. And there are many, many mamas and babies who were healthy as a result of that work that Vicki did back in those days. And I think there's much more to come. The response, the Allentown Health Bureau response to COVID was fantastic. It just was an extraordinary mobilization of scarce resources to get the job done. And again, Vicki deserves a great deal of credit for that. Uh, she's a recognized leader statewide in public health. And now in her new role is just just uh, a wonderful colleague to have. Vicki, can you talk about your relationship to the Pool Institute for Health, the way they've helped you over the years? Absolutely. Um Pool has supported many, many of the partner agencies that come together in just about every realm of public health. But Pool has also personally supported many of the endeavors that we've taken on, both as the health department and for me personally. And as Ed mentioned, prenatal care is so critical, and especially to our Latina moms who often don't see pregnancy as anything to worry about. And the lack of prenatal vitamins and the lack of prenatal support sometimes can lead to poor health outcomes and poor birth outcomes. Pool was a, a pioneer in seeing the need for addressing those things, you know, head on. And we worked together, that was back in the 90s, and then and ever since. Um, if we look at programs that have truly affected overall health in the community, 
it's usually some type of a connection, not to mention that pool is so much of a strong support to our hospital networks and a catalyst for bringing people together. So it's been a pleasure to work with pool through the years on a number of initiatives and then to work alongside a number of the initiatives that they've supported for decades. Ed, what surprises you? What are you proud of when you look at the work that you've done with Vicki over the years? Oh, uh, many things, Greg. I think the uh, you could always count on Vicki and you could always count on the Health Bureau to really deliver, uh, to really step up. And again, with limited, very limited resources, you know, we we don't have a strong infrastructure in public health in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania compared to other states. Uh, and Vicki's always been able to do a great job with the scarce resources she has. Um, I, I think in terms of, you know, as I said, you know, the ability to reach out to low-income women to talk about the importance of prenatal care, for example, going back into the 1990s and knowing that there were probably successful health outcomes and successfully uh, babies that were born healthy and had the opportunity to thrive is extremely important. And I feel wonderful about those kinds of things. The challenge I think for us going forward is how do you sustain those things? How do you develop the infrastructure to say, it's not just a three-year grant. We have to look seriously about how we do this work and, and incorporate it into how we conduct our business. Vicki? Greg, one of the things that I think is uh, pivotal about the relationship that Pool has to our community is that, as Ed mentioned, the public health infrastructure in Pennsylvania is fragmented to be kind, but also the municipal governments and the city of Allentown in particular with a, a large poverty base is often financially strapped. And what that has resulted in is a true lack of data. And the lack of data results in launching programs that we think are in the best interest of the citizens or that we hope will reach the right targeted audience. Pool has been a trailblazer in legitimizing process and in gathering critical data. And we use that data on a consistent basis to try to stretch those resources as far as we can and to try to particularly target the people who need the services and the programming the most. So I see Pool as being the one who's been able to work around our fragmented systems to try to bring that data from a variety of entities together in order for us to make the best use of the limited resources that we have. So without that, I think we'd be in a blind situation where we simply keep going where we think we need to be instead of now where we are trying to attack issues where we know it's needed. And Lehigh Valley Health Network has a very sophisticated IT system and good analytics around health data. And what we're able to do with the Institute working with LVHN and the Pool Center for Health Analytics is to really have a better analysis of that data, a deeper dive on that data as it relates to social determinants of health. So not just health care, but health and housing, health and education attainment, health and public safety health and food and nutrition. How do we look at that cross-sector work so that we can tell a better story? Uh, but hand in hand with the hard data is also the story. And so we place equal confidence and importance on the voice of folks at the community level. And so one of the trusted partners that we have is to reach out to Vicki, previously in the Health Bureau, now in the city of Allentown to say, we need to know that what we're seeing in terms of the hard data resonates with people who live in the neighborhood. Can you help us with that? Can you help us understand to make sure 
that as we've said in the past, Greg, no data without the story, no story without the data. And those two things together are very, very powerful. And I, I think there's more opportunity to build on that going forward so that we can deploy the scarce resources we have in the most effective way. Vicki, how do you take data that the Pool Institute is very good at supplying now and getting better every day. How do you take that data and then convert it to a conversation in a neighborhood that the data shows needs the help? Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. One of the things that I think public health has been notorious for has been launching a public health message that is good for everyone and is needed by everyone. And yet, when we really dig down in deep, we find that neighborhoods, sometimes blocks, perhaps have different needs. So one of the things the Allentown Health Bureau is doing right now is launching a community health needs assessment that is specific to each of the four different quadrants of the city. We're hoping to look at a granular approach to public health neighborhood by neighborhood by neighborhood. So when we take the pool data that they have about ER visits or about mental health or about suicide, any, any issue that uh, pool has gathered that information for, and we couple that with what our citizens have to say about where they are and about how they feel about where they are, we, we paint that story that Ed's referring to. And then we need to customize the response to that story. So what, you know, when one neighborhood might need a outpatient physical therapy spot, another neighborhood might need a walking trail to combat the lack of physical activity. Another neighborhood might need a walk-up grocery store or someplace to get fruits and vegetables. So we're trying to customize our response and actually address neighborhood by neighborhood now the, um, the social determinants of health. But without that data that comes from our hospital networks and that comes from our employers and that comes from our physician offices, again, we go in blind. And many neighborhoods don't understand that the experience they're having, many of their neighbors are having. So if we find that we have three or four city blocks that asthma is really high, maybe those are where we carefully choose the street trees that we plant, or we don't plant trees that could trigger asthma. And we look at a different way of making the neighborhood green and attractive. But it's that overlapping data that will let us engage citizens in solutions that work for them right where they are. Vicki, can you give us an example of something that you're doing right now that is a result of the data that you're receiving? We have a program called Million Clicks. It's a walking program in the city of Allentown. And we're looking, we're comparing chronic disease data with where our click-in stations are and where we're encouraging people to walk. And we're actually placing the click-in stations. People get a little key fob when they register for the Million Clicks program. And when they click in at these stations, we can see in the cloud, we can see the data that shows how often they're walking, where they're walking, what neighborhoods they're in. So we can schedule some programming like pop-up CPR classes around the click station at a busy time of day, or we can have a walk with a doc that goes through a neighborhood where a lot of the folks are out and about so that we're not wasting time kind of standing at a table in a park. We can analyze that data. So we're actually putting those stations where the chronic disease and the obesity rates indicate those stations need to be in order to encourage folks to get out and about in that neighborhood to try to help themselves combat the conditions that are taking them to the ER and are unfortunately challenging the potential years of life lost. Public health is based on potential years of life lost. If you are supposed to live to be 84 years old as a male, what is taking you out of this world early? 
and how can public health impact those potential years of life lost? So we're using that data to target sedentary lifestyles in those particular neighborhoods by trying to encourage those clicks. And when those clicks happen, they register people for prizes and for classes or activities that they can benefit from. Greg, the you know, as as Vicky's describing it, Allentown, like most cities in America, is a city of neighborhoods. And if you don't understand what's going on in a local locality, in a place, it's really difficult to connect uh, in a way with people who would think about changing their behavior, maybe walking a little more frequently, that sort of thing. So that's extremely important. And I would also note that the things that Vicky's describing really fit extraordinarily well in her new role in community and economic development in that the solutions she was pointing out, uh, need for a grocery store, where trees are planted, things like that are out of the purview of traditional public health. It's expanding the notion of what health is beyond the classic, well, this is health care from a medical standpoint, and this is public health from a public social good, and thinking more critically about what do we need to be healthy and how do we go about it? So to Vicki's credit, see how she's thinking about it is just a whole refreshing larger scope. It's really interesting. It's way beyond get a yearly checkup. It's how can we jump in front of people so that when they go get a, a physical, perhaps they're a little bit more healthy, correct? Absolutely. It's Right now, the city is embarking on one of its biggest, I think, metamorphosis about how we look at health and how we look at social determinants of health. We're in the middle of a zoning rewrite. Most people would say, what does zoning have to do with health? But we're looking at taking our zoning laws to actually become form-based zoning, where if a neighborhood wants to be able to walk to work, a modern factory could be in that neighborhood, as opposed to us having our factories, our manufacturing, our our industrial areas so far away. So we're looking at a more modern zoning approach. We're in a housing study that is going to a granular level, which has a component at the end of it to rewrite our ordinances, to make them more clear and more compatible with trying to improve our housing stock. We're in the middle of the community health needs assessment, um, actually the beginning of that. And we're also implementing a new computerized system for our housing development and our inspection system, which should go live in May. And that will allow the real-time tracking of the progress or the failure of improving our affordable housing stock. So as we embark on all of that, it'll be a data generator. And the data that's generated obviously will go into the analytics that pool uses, but it will also allow us to engage our citizens in every one of those processes to ask them what they want to meet Mayor Turk's three goals for our city, and that's a safer, cleaner, healthier city. So I think that we are really on the cusp of us having a comprehensive or a more comprehensive picture of our public health needs in the city and of how we're going to address those social determinants of health. Ed, how do you collect the data? It's so important. Oh, my goodness. First thing, Greg, is I don't collect the data. <laughs> we, there are folks who are very skilled in this, these processes. Most of what we're talking about actually is public access data. It's secondary source that's available. The innovation, if you will, is not to look at data from one specific set, but look cross-sectorially at data across an array of things. So how do you look at health outcomes hand-in-hand -hand with housing data? How do you look at health outcomes hand-in-hand -hand with high school graduation or with access to early childhood education 
or things that would relate as a social determinant. So those are, uh, let me back up and just say many organizations, particularly ones that are, are government funded or government managed, have tons of data. The predicament is that they have tons of data, but no actionable information because someone's got to sit down and sift through and think through what are the priorities, what are the questions critically that we want to ask, and how do we analyze this data in a way that tells a story and promotes and prompts more questions. So I think the innovative wrinkle here is really thinking cross-sectorally about looking at data and how the interactive effects of the information that we glean uh, to think about how do, you, how do you turn that into actionable work. Again, hand in hand with saying that's half of the equation. The other half of the equation is, does it resonate with people in the neighborhood? Vicki, is- Greg, if I- Please, go if ahead. If I could add, one of the really telling factors about our city, I believe, that many people don't understand is how you deliver a message to our citizens. For example, many people will say now, even with remote work, that workplace education and education through your employer is one of the ways to reach the populace. 80% of the citizens working in the city of Allentown, 80% of our residents work outside the city. So workplace education offered to companies in Allentown don't necessarily reach the Allentown city residents. So it's using that data to determine where they are working to reach them through their workplace, where benefits are needed. And that may mean doing Allentown city resident education outside the city. So it's those kinds of data collection sets that dictate where our programming is. And the biggest part of the lack we've had citywide is that, as I said, we were not computerized. So what we think we know about the housing stock or about the affordability of where people are living has all been in paper files. So the story is spread among thousands and thousands of paper charts. Now we're embarking on a mission to get all of that data to be matched to the data coming out of our schools, the data coming out of our hospitals, the data coming out of our employers, the data coming out of our ERs. So it's an exciting time for us to actually be able to paint the picture. And I'm hoping that it will lead to us being able to attract more resources to the city to respond to the needs the data indicates. By and large, Greg, the, when you look at the data, what particularly the small area analysis that we're looking at, you realize for the most part, when you look at the data, across the Lehigh Valley, things look fine. You know, you really don't see any really glaring disparities or any any challenges. It's not till you get down to as low a, a common civil level that as you can, like census tract, zip code, preferably census tract, where you begin to see pops that say, oh, wait a minute, the housing stock is poor. Oh, combined with the fact that there's a high rate of diabetes. Oh, wait a minute, there's an awful lot of asthma that happens here as well oh, wait a minute, high school graduation rates are lower in this census tract than others. And you see where the disparities jump out. So it prompts, the data really prompts more questions than answers, frankly. And it isn't, as our colleague Ron Dendis used to say, fire ready aim. It's more like, okay, let's let's process this information a little bit. Let's not create the program du jour, but let's think long-term about what is the sustainable, larger, strategic, uh, smart way to go about this that would reduce those disparities in health Without reducing the disparities in health, we're not going to be able to have the entire Lehigh Valley be healthy. So, Vicki, you have experienced HIV-AIDS epidemics. You've been a strong voice in prenatal programs, and most recently you've dealt with the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of challenges here. 
Is there anything that remains consistent when trying to tackle these community health challenges? Or has anything changed or anything surprised you? Um, the one thing that remains consistent is the lack of preparedness. We are taken off guard constantly by public health terms. And although we prepare for them as best we can, it's very hard to prepare a citizenry that is so stretched financially and has such limited access to resources. So it's easy for us to say, prepare for an emergency by having two weeks of your pills or having extra food in your house or prepare for a power outage by having a generator, prepare for, I mean, everything that we try to prepare for requires resources. And when citizens don't have resources, they can't be prepared. So they're always in a reactive mode. They're worried about what they're gonna eat tonight. They're not worried about what's gonna happen a month from now or two months from now. And we in public health are desperately trying to get folks to focus on the future. What makes you live longer when we have a community that's focusing on living through today? So the challenge in public health is trying to get those two goals to come together and to get folks to understand in a society that's very used to instant results, that changing public health, changing the status of a community, changing the heart and soul of a neighborhood takes time. So the challenge is always there. Now with COVID, I think it's even a bigger challenge. We had some of the agencies and some of the trusted messengers that have been there for decades the trust is broken or shattered or has come apart. So getting people back to understanding that public health is important. I mean, public health is invisible to many until you need a vaccine in the middle of a pandemic. But public health is working every day on addressing these social determinants of health. It's keeping that front line of response motivated and it's keeping the citizenry aware of the fact that public health really does save lives. And when you really look at the initiatives that have been successful through time, they have affected those years of potential life lost. I mean, look at how smoking rates have started to come down finally after how long, but it seems like every time we get close to winning one battle, another battle emerges with a fierce determination. So part, I think, of the continuing challenge is to get the community to understand that they're a huge part of the solution and that public health isn't just something that happens when we're in an emergency. Ed, are we ready for another emergency, whether it's 5, 10, 15 years down the road? What do you think? I think that uh, by and large, I would think as we come out of COVID, such as it is, there would uh, really be a need for an after action report on uh, how did it work? What went right? What went wrong? How do we get smarter and better at this uh, and not anticipate that uh, we'll go back to same old, same old? I think a lot of genies are out of the bottle or not going to go back in the bottle. I was working and around during HIV AIDS. I was a kid during polio. If you look at polio, if you look at HIV AIDS, if you look at COVID, in every instance, we got caught somewhat flat-footed uh, I think in every instance, the institutional memory of what was in the playbook about how you go about educating people about vaccines, et cetera, like, for example, the mobilization that happened in the 50s with polio uh, just didn't happen with COVID. Lessons learned from HIV AIDS just didn't happen with COVID. And I think we need to rethink that. We need to have the playbook ready to go. And I think that folks like Vicki and, and folks in the public health 
world will will need to really step up and take that leadership role. And I think we need to be mindful of the fact that things increasingly, the 100-year the event seems to be coming around more often these days. So how do we be smart about that and prepare? We're kind of a nation of counterpunchers. We react after we get punched in the nose. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if we can develop the capacity for preparedness going forward. Vicki, any comments on how we can do that? What do you what do you do um, to prepare? We are absolutely not prepared for the next one. We we haven't conquered three quarters of the hurdles we had during this one. Communication was an issue, supply was an issue, the public health workforce and its limited number was an issue. The number of volunteers, thank God, in Allentown, we were very fortunate that we had an Allentown Volunteer Medical Reserve Corps that jumped into action, but we had many parts in our state where they didn't have that volunteer base. So we were very much, um, we knew what we had to do. We just didn't have the resources to be able to do it. And I still don't think we do. So until we fix the fragmented public health infrastructure, not just in Pennsylvania, but in many states throughout the United States, I don't think we're ready for the next one. So I think one of the things we have to do is keep advocating so that people don't forget where we've been and keep working with our policymakers to get them to understand that being reactionary costs lives. Ed, you've been doing this a long time. You have to see some progress, don't you? Yes, tremendous progress. With, I mean, with just people being aware. Yeah, uh, I think. Well, first of all, to thanks to WDIY and and thanks to you, Greg, uh, and and the volunteers and staff at DIY, there are vehicles to have these kind of conversations, which are very very beneficial. Uh, and there's more awareness, but I think normatively, socially, at a community level, things like smoking, people don't smoke anymore just because their friends don't smoke anymore. The behavior changes because the norms change. It's not necessarily due to any specific public health message, but just values change over time. I look at an old movie and everybody's smoking cigarettes and think, boy, how odd that is, how, yeah. how antiquated that looks. So I think we, we're getting smarter and better at what's good for us. I don't think that everyone has the opportunity, and I think we need to think long and hard about having, making sure people have the opportunity to make their choices and that's best for them in terms of leading a healthy life. You'll see that tobacco use, for example, is higher among low-income and minority folks than it is among uh, the higher-educated majority folks. There are reasons for that, and there are reasons why we need to be thinking about that in a helpful way and in a supportive way. Vicki, we have about a minute left. Final thoughts, please. Just that it's an exciting time to be a part of public health initiatives, I think nationwide, as we respond to those after action reports from COVID. It's an even more exciting time to be a part of community and economic development in the city of Allentown. And I'm extremely honored to have that role. Our city is changing physically as we see all the development that's occurring. It's changing in-house when I see the fact that we're trying to uh, streamline our process and trying to break down silos so that everyone is working toward social determinants of health. But we're also surrounded by a large number of fantastic partners in our community. Certainly the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health being one of them, but so many nonprofits, so many hospital networks, and so many faith-based groups, neighborhood groups that are all coming together to try to improve the quality of life. And I think that that's important. And I think that the, the use of data will help destroy some of the myths that we have moving forward. And I see it as a time that we can, we can truly work together to try to make a difference in different ways. 
Well, on that positive note, Vicki Kistler, thank you very much for being on Health Beat this evening. And of course, thank you to our co-host, Edward Meehan. If you'd like to listen to this program again, please go to WDIY.org or you can go to the WDIY app. Vicki, thanks a lot. I appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you for having me. Edward, as always, an interesting Thank show. You, Greg. And uh, let's make sure our people dial into public health in the meaning of public health. I'm your host, Greg Caponia. You've been listening to Health Beat. This is WDIY 88.1 FM. Have a great evening.